0: Welcome back to Mince's From the Edge. I am Jeremy Glazer, the co-chair of the Mince Venture Capital and Emerging Company Practice. Mince is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at minceedge.com. Today I am pleased to welcome on our podcast, Ryan Floyd. Ryan is a founder and managing director of Storm Ventures. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to to talk to us a little bit. Um, What we wanted to talk about today was kind of of the issues that come up with term sheets on a regular basis when an entrepreneur is negotiating his first term sheet, his or her first term sheet with a VC. And obviously, you've been involved in a lot of those negotiations. You've done some wonderful uh, videos and podcasts about some of the issues that come up. And we thought it might be uh, of interest to our listeners to maybe do a little bit more of an advanced um, term sheet review rather than going over the kind of the basics, but really getting into some of the issues that are important to you when you're negotiating uh, and that might be potentially challenging in the negotiations as well. Yeah, no, I think I think it'd be great. I I think there's a
1: lot of information out there on the basic stuff on a term sheet, um, but there's a lot of nuance around some of the. you know, more kind of contentious items that I think, you know, worth talking about outside of valuation. So yeah, let's get into it.
0: Okay. So, uh, vesting, um, very often when founders come strolling in my door and they say they want to go out for venture capital and they show me their corporate documents, I see that they've issued all the shares to the founders. They, they own them outright. They've not imposed any vesting on them at all. Um, what happens when you come across a company that you see that?
1: Well, um, I mean, I guess, you know, to state the obvious, I mean, I'm coming at it from a position um, as, you know, as a new investor. And I think, you know, many out there will just take the view that because, you know, I'm an investor, I'm going to be difficult and, um, you know, push very hard on somebody's terms just simply because I'm an investor. I think, you know, for founders, they have to come from a place, first and foremost, of trying to trust their new investor and i guess you know maybe that's kind of a theme that we should talk about through all of this today because all these terms can get abused every single one of them by either side and so it requires everybody um, to develop trust and i know that's really difficult in the early uh in the early goings because you may not know your investor Trying to do references on them, trying to really understand how they operate. Um, it can be really helpful as a foundation for the negotiations to understand kind of where they're coming from. Um, and I try to do the same, by the way, for founders as well. Uh, so I try to take my own medicine. Sometimes it can be more difficult, especially if it's a first-time founder. You know, has never run a company before. There's not a lot of like prior history to operate off of. But um, but anyway, uh, just as a foundation, start with that. Look, on vesting, it's, it's a very important term, and it's um, the, the basic contract that venture investors get into, you know, with a founder is that they hope that they're going to go build this company together. They're going to go on this journey together. And, you know, the last thing a venture investor wants is to be left holding the bag if a year into uh, the, um, the journey, the entrepreneur decides, often for legitimate reasons, that they no longer wanna continue along the journey. And so um, it's a a super important term, not so much to keep team members locked into the company, although it serves some purpose for that, I suppose, that the vesting is an economic incentive to save. But I don't most people that end up leaving, leave for other reasons. They're emotionally distressed, they're unhappy with their co-founders, They're not leaving because they think there's a much better opportunity out there somewhere else. There's something else that's likely driving them away. For all the execs and founders of the company, then if that person ends up leaving, you know, uh, vesting so critical because you're going to have to replace that function. I mean, none of our companies, I'm sure all the ones that, that you're involved with, too, you know, are operating with like, you know, massive exec teams everybody has to wear multiple hats and if you lose somebody you know whether it's the ceo or you know the vp of engineering it's going to be a hard role to fill going forward and you're going to have to give out substantial equity to somebody else coming in and i think we all probably can agree that's fair to do that to exchange some equity to the person that's leaving so that you can give equity to someone else that's joining what gets tricky is figuring out you know what that ought to look like and should it be all the shares are given back should it be some portion do do investors have the right to buy back founders shares if they leave it's probably beyond the scope even for what we're trying to get into today but vesting is super critical
0: this is really great i you know i kind of laugh when you're talking about this because i can picture so many conversations i've had with so many entrepreneurs who walk in and when i when i explain to them look if you're going to go to any institutional investor they're going to require you to impose some level of vesting on these shares they're not going to let all the founders have all their shares and they're like well why not we we formed the company we started it and i and i look at them and say well how are you going to feel if founder a after you go ahead and raise his money says hey this is great company's funded everything's going to now go on autopilot i'm heading off to tahiti i'm going to hang on the beach and I own the shares and as you guys build this great value through hard work and you know 80 to 120 hour weeks, I'm gonna just go ahead and you know, uh, take take the benefits without any of the pain. And they look at me and they go, Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way, right? So it is definitely about you know being concerned about needing to re you know, re-grant when new people come, but it's also this concept that the companies you and I work with, the value is in is is, is gonna be in hard work and long hours. And why should somebody take right. the benefit of that? if they're not doing that too.
1: Absolutely, and exactly. And you know, the case that you, that you just raised about you know, going around sitting, sitting on the beach, it's a great one because I think it, it lays out clearly what the risks are, but I think too, it's dangerous because I think founders in their head, they say, that's not gonna happen. I'm not, I'm not gonna go leave and sit on the beach. That's never gonna therefore, the term shouldn't apply to me. And I understand that, that's logical. What's hard to anticipate is the other reasons that they may leave the company. They may not get along with a co-founder or another exec person on the team. Um, you know, they may have a personal circumstance. A spouse, uh, you know, has to relocate or something, and they can't make it work. There's lots of issues that end up coming up. I've had situations where founders, you know, a year into it, say, "Tell me they got burnt out." I mean, it happens. It happens. Sure. But uh, you know, the 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 point of having those terms in there is so that you don't have to anticipate all of the potential things are going happen it's sort of a you
0: know a catch-all yeah absolutely i i agree with you and so you know what i do and i'm curious what you think about this what i typically tell companies when you know we we work with companies right from the get-go and they're just forming so when they walk in the door i explain to them go ahead and put vesting in now start with the vesting schedule yes so by the time you're ready you know whether it's six months or a year or whatever it is to go to the venture capital community You've already got vesting in place. You've vested some of your shares because of the work you've been putting in. How do you react to that? Do you, does that make you feel more comfortable? Do you, is it making you less likely to require revesting when you see that they've already put that in place? How, how do you react to that?
1: Well, I, um, I, I think it's, 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 it's a reflection of the fact that they've been thoughtful about setting up the business for sure. Um, because I think even if I'm not an investor there, just for their other co-founders and other execs, they want that vesting term. Cause remember, it doesn't just benefit me. It benefits everyone that's staying at the company to build it, right? So it reflects, I think, a thoughtfulness about really, you know, what makes sense about how to build a company, independent of having, you know, an institutional investor on board. You know, as to the concept of you know, revesting, and maybe we can get into that a little bit, because um, I think that that is very contentious talking about having founders you know, revest potentially some of their shares. And, and maybe before I that, you know, when I started this, the concept of like, you know, a, a foundation of trust is where you have to start. You know, another thing I tell founders is they have to understand that, you know, they have so much more power at the early stages in terms of the direction of the business and what's going to happen then they then they really I think sometimes fully appreciate and they get very nervous, understandably, about these documents that look big and scary and lots of words uh, that they have to read and all these things that just you know because the unfortunate part of the you know uh, legal documents is they they sort of have to cover all of the the cases that could potentially happen and you start your mind starts wandering through all these things and you're just like ah <laughs> it's just terrible and you get in this kind of like mental yeah. negative frenzy right yeah. but the reality is. You know, there's no early stage institutional investor. Mean, very, very few, very rare that you find any early stage institutional investor that has any interest in removing any of the founders. Because it's likely a very large part of the thesis behind why we're investing in the business. Because uh, it's not like there's a lot of financial uh, traction to, to go off of, most likely, if it's early stage, right? Um, you know, the market is a good bet, maybe think, but really it's it's about our betting also on the team's ability to execute. And so when you think about revesting then in that context, it ought to appear a lot less scary uh, to a founder, I, w- I would contend, with one kind of major caveat. I would tell any founder they should never have to sign up to revesting their shares without some more significant protections in place from a venture investor being uh you know potentially a bad actor. And what I mean by that is as you build value in a company and you get to this kind of series A, series B round, someone comes you and say reinvest your shares, I would encourage founders to think about doing that because I see it as very being fairly low risk for them, but at the same time, they need to have protections in place so that if investors decide to let those founders go. Yes. without any cause you know that's not right either so you want to this is kind of one of those gray areas right you, you want it gets complicated
0: yeah, it it gets gets at complicated, complicated. your point we can really get into some yeah a lot of conversation about you know what is cause and what is good reason and you know exactly. and what's voluntary what's involuntary and we do get into that when you start going down this road yes
1: but it, but i you know i think it's important because i it is, it is reasonable to expect that some of those shares would be given back to the company if a founder decides to leave. But you're right, there's a definition of what is good reason and what. But you don't think, I don't think it's fair to put a founder in the position of they revest all their shares and at the whim of the board, uh, they could get fired. Now that then gets into a conversation too about what's the compensation of the board? How can the, uh, the CEO, uh, you know, a CEO be fired or a, or a co-founder uh, that may not be the CEO, because that also will impact, I think, how flexible founders might be on the concept of, of, of Um yeah. But I do I do think it's important because it makes me very nervous when I invest in an early-stage A-round company. So we do B2B, enterprise SaaS. Companies are typically between half a million and a million of ARR and growing when we invest. If the founders are, and the co-founders are fully vested when we invest in the business. Um, you know, it, it you know, it, it makes me nervous. And it's not because I don't, you know, I, I don't believe that they want to be a part of that company going forward. But I also worry about all the potential things that could happen. You know, I've been investing that for 20 years, I'd say it's pretty rare, uh, that something doesn't, you know, go right, or that, a, you know, a founder ends up leaving. But founder disputes happen all the time, right? That's very common. Uh, and usually we can, you know, work something out. And we, but it there are things that are unfortunately somewhat predictable too that are, that that frequently occur. And I think having things in place to kind of protect everybody again, not just me, but all shareholders um, I think, you know, makes, makes a lot of sense.
0: Exactly. You know, it's interesting. A lot of founders express a concern about how can I trust, you know, the venture capitalists, how can I trust that I'm not going to be in control of the board that they could potentially remove me. And I think your point is very well taken that, if you negotiate these provisions, if you're if you're knowledgeable and thoughtful, and you're dealing with obviously a, a you know a fair-minded venture capitalist, you can build in protections around that. It's not going to be that they can just walk in one day and go, you know, I really don't like the fact that you left pizza, you know, in the hallway. You're out of here. It has to be, you know, the significant reasons and notice and you know uh, protections in place. And as long as you do that, I think the reality is it is fair uh, for all the reasons we talked about. Um, so um any any other kind of parting comments about vesting and reinvesting, and move on to one other topic. Yeah, just really, you know, one
1: parting comment on that, especially you know, I think again, it's just maybe an overarching theme on these contentious terms. I'd encourage all founders to have a conversation with that institutional investor that's asking for these, you know, maybe somewhat controversial terms, and to really understand why they're asking for it. Because I think it's a important that a founder understands that, um, but it's also it's very important that an investor has an ability to articulate why they're asking for something. It's something that drives me crazy when I get into situations and someone's asking for something, but they cannot articulate to me why it's because it's always been that way or right. that's the way every other deal is done. It's I'm
0: in not, the A4, right?
1: Yeah, right, exactly. Which. In some cases, maybe you know that 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 may be true. But what also is true is that they ought to understand why they're asking for it because it um, it supports that whole concept. Of really, kind of thinking about it holistically. You know, board representation. You know, what the founders have already vested. Should there be protections? Because all these things are nuanced, and without sort of an understanding of why you're asking for something, um, you know, it can be very challenging for for founders.
0: I, I totally agree. You know, sometimes people have to you know, have the conversation, again, understand, turn on their brains. You know, I, I hear that, unfortunately, as an attorney, you can imagine very often. I hear that as a you know a retort. And I ask, well, why is this provision in here? And like, well, it's standard or it's always done that way. So I've kind of developed kind of a fun retort back. I always say, well, guess what? It's always done that way. Well, after this deal, you won't be able to say that anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. The way to force the conversation to get to the substance rather than just, well, that's how it's always done. Right. Right. Well, let's uh, let's, uh, shift gears and talk a little bit about another issue that comes up, uh, which is the ability of the um, institutional investors to have what are called pro rata rights. The ability for them to be able to participate in a future financing. And the idea is that it allows them to maintain their ownership percentage as the company continues to move forward. Why is that an important right to venture capitalists?
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up. This is something that I've just, again, I I feel like a dinosaur. I've been investing for a number of years and it's become more, it seems every year it kind of gets more and more contentious. Um, So the pro rata right at, you know, most basically says, if I invest in a round and I invest enough money, which we can talk about, so I need to sort of get over some hurdles of how, but if I invest enough money, I'm a significant investor. In future rounds, I have the ability to participate in those rounds uh, relative to my prior ownership. Now, that doesn't mean I won't get diluted over time. I will either because I can invest more money, or you know the company expands a stock option pool, issues warrants, and other things. But as it relates to financing, if other people are investing, I ask for the right that I could also invest uh, going forward. And you can view it as basically it's an option, um, and you know options have economic value. They have so much economic value that today we don't have one, but many venture funds have created opportunity funds that simply, uh, you know, capitalize on that value where they just invest in kind of the later stage portion of their portfolio uh, with a totally dedicated fund to do that. Um, And the reason they're able to get investors to put money into that uh, is because that has an economic value and that's a right that they negotiated early on. So the main thing here is I want to establish is that it has an economic right, uh, and it's it's important to a venture investor when you think about, you know, our job is to, you know, generate returns to LPs. We're, we're trying to think about how to do that, and by having that right to invest in future rounds is is a very meaningful way that we uh, are able to uh, increase the returns to our LPs.
0: Yeah, but so it's one going- of the things, right, one of the challenges, right, that we all talk about with angel financings is that, folks get in these early deals and they think, okay, great. I got into some really great low valuation. I'm going to make a bunch of money, but then the company does, you know, whatever, you know, two, three, four, five rounds before the MA or the IPO exit. And where are you? So kind of feeds into what you're saying.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so, uh, that that's right. I mean, you know, so, I mean, those, those early stage investors will still do very, very well on a multiple of their money that was invested. Um, but most angel investors, certainly individuals, they're not trying to manage a fund. So they're looking typically more at you know, dollar on dollar kind of returns and it's a different way that they'll kind of look at their portfolio relative to an institutional fund. Um, so the, the reason it gets contentious uh, is that uh, often uh, in B rounds and C rounds, later rounds, uh, investors, particularly investors that have large funds, new investors, uh, will come into uh, an interesting portfolio and company say, you know, hey, Ryan, uh, we'd love to invest in your company uh, at this, you know, attractive valuation. Okay, conversation's going great. However, uh, we want to invest 20 million and that's the entire round. And we need you to waive your rata rights. Definitely. And I should say, too, they don't tell that to me. Uh, they tell that to the CEO founder which is appropriate um, but it's an important dynamic because to a founder CEO that economic right isn't as important um, because it's not their right it's an investor right and I used to say you know really the only time I sit on the other side of the table from uh, a founder CEO is that first we're negotiating that a round unfortunately I think this pro rata right often can slip in later in life uh, of a company where it puts you on the other side of the table from the founding team and it's really it's really unfortunate Um, and the reason it does that is you know an investor a new investor may come in and say again we'd love to invest 20 million at this great valuation but your other investors have to waive their pro rata rights this founding team you know probably is like well you know that's a great valuation we want to do that deal it's the best valuation that we've been offered let's just say hypothetically Um, Why would we do a deal that's worse for the company just so that Storm can get their pro rata right? And I get that. I mean, I understand it's very logical. They're not trying to do anything bad to me or cause me harm, uh, per se, but it puts us in a very tough place because, again, as we were just talking about, that's an economic right for Storm or whoever, uh, you know, going going forward. And we're often put in this very difficult place where we have to uh, waive some Sometimes all of our pro rata rights, depending on how attractive uh, the offer is. Now, I think what maybe a lot of uh, folks out there might be thinking is, you know, hey, Ryan, cry me a river. Uh, you get a new investor in <laughs> at a really attractive valuation, you got to waive your pro rata rights. Boo hoo. Which, again, I, I get, I, it's totally it's a fair comment. I get that side uh, as well. However, if you kind of think about it as an economic right for us, it's you know, it's it's problematic and I'm not alone there. I think it's problematic for every early stage investor. Um, um, is
0: an interesting there. issue. Yeah, this is an interesting issue. Though. How I mean, how often do you really end up in the situation where they're not waiving? They won't they, the you know, they, that the the new investor is basically saying they have to waive it or I'm not investing at all because I this comes up a lot. But for me, I find that. It's usually not a problem like the new investor will say, okay, fine. I get it. You know, the other two venture funds who are invested in the series a, they got to buy their parada, you know, that's fine. And then I'll just take the rest. I, I don't, I don't usually have a problem where they just say, well, forget it. If I can get my full 20 million, I'm out of here. How well, often we, do you see that? We work more together then?
1: I think, uh, uh, we need, <laughs> we need to do more because it happens to me all the time. It happens to storm all the time. I wouldn't say it's every, every deal. But I'd hmm. say it's it's probably 50% uh, where we get very heavy handed late stage investors. It's typically a company that's growing very quickly, valuations are climbing as a result. And in order for that fund to get the target ownership that they want with the check size and to make all the math work, the only way to really do that is to have um, the, the earlier investors waive some or all of their pro rata. Again, it's not every single time it happens, but um, you know it's 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 pretty frequent, and it's certainly correlated to the larger funds as well. Like if we're if if a smaller fund, say sub three hundred million, is investing in a B round, then they're probably not going to be as sensitive to it. But certainly if it's, you know, if it's a billion dollar fund, then they get very sensitive to it. Minimum
0: size, right? They got to put enough
1: money to work, How often, often which I understand. I mean, I I don't want to make excuses for them, but I think the point of our conversation is here. It's it's nuanced. And so you put yourself in their shoes. I understand why, you know, they push very hard for that, too.
0: How often is it is it a reasonable solution that the company will just say, okay, fine, we'll take 20 million from new investor and. We'll give you guys your pro rata will raise more than 20 million we'll just take in more money
1: so no it's, it's great you brought that up that is that often happens and if, you know I, I i hear as probably you do all the time people out in the community say oh, my god how did that company raise so much money it doesn't make any sense part of it lies in 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 this dynamic where a new investor wants to come in and own a certain percentage Investors have prorata rights. All of a sudden, the round just kind of keeps climbing and it gets to a number that sort of kind of doesn't look uh, like what you'd expect. Um, so, yeah, so that can be um, that can be a, a solution. And I'd say that works especially well if a company is raising at a relatively high valuation. Yeah. That is to say where it's
0: it's it's not nearly as diluted to the right. client. They're really happy to take as much money as they can get at that valuation. Yeah, yeah okay.
1: maybe not as much money. You know, not infinite, but you know, if they have to raise, you know, another 10% or 20% more on the round, and it's for a point or two of dilution, uh, it's not it's not worth breaking glass over. Where it gets, you know, fairly contentious is where valuations are lower and the round size is still big. And then the founders are saying, "Ah, if we were to give pro rata, we'd have to give up another, you know, ten percent of the company." yes um, that's a and, big deal. And it's a big deal then. Yeah, yeah. And it just it just makes it uh, you know much harder for them to walk away from it.
0: Well, Ryan, this this has been great, and we could boy we could probably keep talking for hours about all these different issues and topics. And we'll definitely have to have you back to do that in the future. Um, it's just great to get insights of, of an experienced venture capitalists, you know, sharing some of these things that are important to you in negotiating deals. I know our listeners who are mostly you know, entrepreneurs uh, trying to raise money for their companies really appreciate this. It's a great education for them. Thank you for inviting us into your home for this podcast. And I look forward to, uh, to staying in touch and doing this again with you soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Jerry.
0: Thank you to our guest, Ryan Floyd of Storm Ventures. I am Jeremy Glazer of Vince Levin, and thank you for listening to this edition of From the Edge.